नमस्कार आप सबका स्वागत है वेलकम एवरीबॉडी इट्स एग्जैक्टली इलेवन ए एम इन इंडिया आई एम वेलकमिंग यू ऑल प्लीज ज्वाइन अप आई एम रेडी टू हैव माय कॉन्वर्सेशन विथ अजय सेठ सीएफओ एंड मेंबर ऑफ एग्जीक्यूटिव बोर्ड मारुति सुजुकी इंडिया लिमिटेड लेट्स गेट सेट फॉर एन इंटरेस्टिंग इन्विगरेटिंग वन Namaskar good morning everybody it's a sunday morning here in india and uh, wherever you are in whichever part of this country or any part of the world i welcome you all uh to this conversation today we are in conversation with ajay sage cfo and member of the executive board maruti suzuki limited and uh, the conversation is called motoring ahead motoring ahead so get set and uh, Ajay is here, and let me have the privilege of inviting him over. Namaskar, swagat hai apka, Ajay. Thank, thank you, Ashish. Thank you so much. <laughs> so to let everybody know, um, Ajay happens to be my senior from Bharati Vidya Bhavan, my school in Delhi, Bharati Vidya Bhavan, Vallabhram Mehta Vidyalay, uh, and uh, and uh, you know we met after years, uh, a year and a half back. and uh, now we are meeting in lockdown times in slightly different scenarios but we said that life goes on and 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 yes it does and uh, so welcome aapka swagat hai and i'm very happy to have you here thank you ashish and thank you having me over on your program uh, very happy to be here and uh, have a have a clear and clean candid chat with you today wonderful so it begins with school right ajay i mean uh, all of us you know uh, school has been uh, even though you know school was eons back for a whole lot of us but it all began so what what is it that you remember about school uh, wow i mean bharatiya vidya bhavan memories are still uh, so live in my mind this yeah. uh, you know was a journey for me which is unforgettable Uh, we were the first batch of commerce, incidentally, and we passed out in 1976. That was the year when the first batch of uh, commerce passed out from the school. And uh, that time, commerce was a very new subject, and uh, we had a new teacher who had uh, joined as a commerce teacher. Uh, I still remember the uh, the kind of uh, determination uh, our principal, Dr. M. P. Chaya, had in terms of promoting various fields of uh, uh various fields in the school including including commerce which was introduced that year mm-hmm. uh well there are a variety of memories that i have and i think uh, the, uh, the the good times that we had in school uh, in terms of uh, trying to break rules once in a while trying to look at things very differently trying to uh, you know have aspirations and desires 
that today we could fulfill because with the value system that were taught in the school were absolutely uh, remarkable and you know today what we are to is largely because of the teachers and the way you know we were taught in the school the value systems and you you would also tend to agree with me because you were there for a while and you you also looked at how how things went went around so i i think i think i still and and uh, believe me that i still have groups uh, where i have friends uh, whom i still interact with we meet once in a while so that is kind of the kind of association that you know we all have with the bhavanites and and the school as well and and what you said was so beautifully put you know when you said that dr mp chaya that amazing dr chaya he kind of really created you um, embedded in us certain values and also aspirations and I, and i love that choice which you made um how has that how have these two at one end values and the other end aspirations going into professional life and i will be coming into the absolute thick of your professional life but <clears throat> values and aspirations can they go together absolutely i think uh, uh, that's exactly what's happened in my case because the the kind of values that you imbibe in yourself once you know and then they you live up to it they really help you in your long term career uh, you know when you shape as a leader it's very important that you are able to demonstrate those values and you know it flows across your team and uh, that's how people start respecting you regarding you as a leader mm-hmm. uh, you know you know the the aspirations that you have will never come true unless this the value system uh, you know is actually uh, actually implemented and actually brought in use in your real life uh, uh, you know uh, what we were taught was determination leadership skills hard work uh, integrity i think above above everything else because you know when you are working over a longer period of time and you know, i've been now uh, almost 36 37 years of uh, work life you have so many temptations so many things that come your way so how do you deal with all that how do you create an ecosystem which is robust professional you know where people uh, really look up to you i've said always one thing to all my people you know it's always you know as a boss everyone will be saluting you saying good words about you but you are regarded as a good boss and a good leader if somebody on your back praises you and says this man is incredible or this man is doing a good job so that's how your your quality of leadership is known and and that comes through the value system that you have been taught initially in your life both from your home and from the school very interesting in fact as i see it uh, you know when when we put these two together aspirations and values um, one of the things that values uh, can uh, tell us and which which tells me and as as evidently tells you also uh, is that not at any cost uh, you know the the values keep us grounded to we tell tells us that what can never be taken off the table even as we strive towards our aspiration and you know as you as you said that when we start embodying it then uh, probably people around also are noticing it but most importantly um, uh, for this this personal this personal journey um, if those values are in place then aspirations and also the will to do things differently or even as you said you know uh, doing th- some things interestingly uh, are still within we we know what are the margins in which we are so it's not at any cost and there are things at stake 
how important do you think it is for any one of us as we even begin this conversation to have something at stake when we are actually going towards our aspirations you know there uh, there are a lot of sacrifices that you have to do in life to achieve uh, certain aspirations mm-hmm. and uh, you know typically a professional uh, including people like me and you would have seen that happening because one is how do you balance your uh, work life balance you know it's it's something extremely difficult so there's an element of sacrifice that you have to do and one of the spouses has to play that uh, uh, role to kind of balance the equation so so usually it is the one who is um, uh, spending more time at home so so that's one part second is uh, you know there are there are uh, sparkles that you get in terms of uh, in terms of either either uh, uh, jobs with big money or not being professional so you have to you have to d- divide and see uh, you have to there's a thin line uh, you know you have to yes. see what what do you really want in life do you want do you want uh, good quality work content value uh, and and be known as a good professional being respected by people or do you want money so i think i think it's it's something that you have to be very clear in your mind in terms of what your aspiration is and therefore again i come back to the same thing that you mentioned in the beginning all this draws draws down from the value system that you have been imbibed with uh, either at your home or in the school and and, and that it you know in a way becomes our pole star you know something which guides us so 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 here is an interesting one also i mean like you know maruti like for so many people in india uh, you know has been a part of aspiration you know growing up in a house where we never had a car and we always wanted a car and my father always uh, you know we uh, we used to live in karolbag ajay and we used to uh, we used to travel by taxi a lot uh, mm-hmm. uh, from the taxi stand and sadaji you know who who used to regularly drive us uh, he used to talk to baba about uh, getting us a second hand uh, morris minor mm-hmm. uh, and that time i think it cost some 30 35000 rupees and baba never had it so car was an aspiration i remember sitting at mandi house years later also we used to have i used to have a hero honda which i used to call me meri gaadi hai ye meri gaadi hai so i used to sit there and i used to we used to see cars going past and the cars during summers you know which had their glasses up okay that meant it was an ac car so ac was still a so i remember when we when i didn't have a car when a lot of people when you don't have a car it is really an aspiration and maruti for the first time got us into a world that we could have something that the world has right you know with us so when i got my first maruti years back after becoming an actor in in bombay this i think sometime in 95 i think 94 or sometime i still remember the jubilation that you know that 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 key i still remember that key you know somehow does it as you're working with maruti does it do you actually experience that you're actually it it's the aspiration of so many people for for decades now for that first car to be a maruti and then to progress how does it feel when you are working in an organization which is which is so aspirational and for decades yeah sure <clears throat> So let me let me first say that you know it's great it's an it's an absolutely amazing place to work in and i've been here for a very long time mm. amazing place because uh, you are you have a blend of uh, japanese culture and you have a blend of indian culture and it works very well you know it's very very 
well blended culture hmm. uh, and you know this whole concept of uh, transformation of uh, the automotive industry this whole revolution started in 90 early 80s you know when we set up this factory first time yeah. and we wow. were so used to ambassadors and feared by then the old technology yeah. that one was amazed to see a technology which was very different and very new and very affordable so the whole idea of bringing a car that time and this was of course as you know it was conceived by uh, the by sanjay gandhi who mm. who thought of setting up a factory at that point in time and this was set up by government of india and it was a public sector company then so japanese were happy to be in here there was there's a there's a story behind it that how maruti got suzuki got chosen as a company because you know there were various contenders and at one okay. point in time government was looking at someone else but they they came in at the last minute and government thought that wow small car will be a much better proposition for india because people can afford small car better than a bigger car so that's how it came in okay and uh, suzuki also was not sure because india was virtually a minuscule market at that, at that point in time mm-hmm. so they were also not sure but when once the factory was set up and there was so much of traction in terms of people uh, buying cars and you remember there was a waiting for the cars for initial yes. many years you know people you would book. have to wait to get book and wait for year, for maybe months and years to get their cars so so we realized that we have to uh, create you know a a mobility solution for people in the long run increase our increase our capacity bring more technology you know do things differently and also address the issue of affordability of cars which was, so mm. we were very community focused we were very customer focused that we should bring a product which is the right product which is affordable and over a period as we grew more technology in products so start addressing the entry level customers start addressing the mid segment customer and start addressing the customers who could afford maybe slightly expensive cars so there mm-hmm. was there was a variety of uh, you know stuff that started happening over this period one thing that we always did was uh, uh, we were we we always looked at the nation and the society at large you know because when you when you are manufacturing you are creating tremendous amount of jobs for people one car generates directly or indirectly about 6 to 7 jobs so you can imagine that if you are if you have a large scale what kind of employment generation capability the, the this kind of a sector has or automotive companies have we've also looked at how do you ensure environmental friendly cars you know how technology can play a role in bringing cars which are environmental friendly So I and, think and the whole. I, I will. We will come to that. I will. I'll just hold you to that. I will come to that today. But you know, the the point which you raised right in the beginning, and I, I want to really progress that way. That you know, when you said that, let's you know, some other car company could have been there, but Suzuki was chosen, and then the small car came in. A small car because it it could be affordable. A one side. So here we are setting up something which will employ a lot many people. and yet address the needs of very many all right now would this kind of a judiciousness would it continue to manifest itself as we move forward that to really look at what is it that the clients may be maybe having an aspiration for but even kind of um, you know like vote for the future which doesn't exactly is not exactly seen at this moment would that be a future ready step is that something which um, businesses could continue to look at 
Yeah, so absolutely. So I think there are uh, there are few transitional things that are happening today. Uh, while we grow uh, in the sector, uh, while the industry keeps growing, uh, barring the last few years, and there are reasons for uh, slow growth. But yes. uh, if you were to look at long run, we are now third largest car market car market in the world. Yeah. You can imagine, you know, from a from nowhere to a third largest market. I think what what's really going to happen is that there is going to be a lot of technology intervention as government, uh, you know, has put more stringent norms uh, of uh, controlling uh, pollution. So there are norms which are called the cafe norms, for example, or the real drive emission norms. So all these are going to come in in next three to three to four years. So, so you will see, you will see a whole lot of electric vehicles. You will see a whole lot of hybrid vehicle technology which will come in. So, and and people will have to bring in engines which are very, which are more fuel efficient. So you'll be seeing me, you'll be seeing more peppy engines coming in, cars with peppy engines coming in. So I think I think the real ball game is about the transition that's going to happen from here to now. But please remember, India is still a very under-penetrated car market. You know, our penetration in India is still about 25 per thousand. Uh, if I compare this with, let's say, a country like US, US will be something like 900 per thousand. So if if you if you imagine potential, I think it is huge. And as huge. per capita goes up, as income level goes up, and economy starts surviving and starts doing well. You are up for you know big time growth, so so I think I think it's it's a question of meeting aspiration of all the people, and at some point in time everybody would like to buy a car. It's it's a question of also addressing government's requirements and regulatory needs. So it's a combination of these things that will take us forward and the industry forward, and I'm sure this is what everybody is working at. And do you also see that you know getting better? So at one end it is as you said the peppier cars which will be more fuel efficient to probably the electric cars now where where are you seeing it going is it is it going to be because how much more fuel efficient can you make a fast moving car uh, with the old technology you know which is which is gas guzzling so do you see that um, uh, with the with the existence of the kind of norms which are being stringently applied now and uh, ever more uh, in the future do you think that we are going to be seeing it sooner than later the complete transition to yeah, the absolutely <clears throat> absolutely i think government's footprint is very clear hmm. and, and and the norms which have a deadline uh, compulsively make you uh, change your mix towards these technology driven cars so hmm. unless you do that you will not be able to meet these norms so i think i think it is it is certain that you will have to move to that in that, that direction uh, there are there are different uh, timelines given the first first uh, uh, year of completion is 2023 and then 2027 so you will see significant uptick in terms of uh, the the electric cars and uh, the hybrid cars and then the more fuel efficient uh, engines uh, which will hit the market from now to the next 5 to 6 years and and, and I, I don't think there is any escape to it the world is moving in that direction uh, everywhere you see a clear push for electric vehicles. Sure. Uh, India is still behind, but I am sure it will catch up uh, uh, pretty fast. And and uh, so one thing which also interests me, you know, when I look at car markets, uh, is the is the second-hand cars. All right. So uh, remember, we used to see that you know there were these uh, even three-wheeler scooters in Bombay. Then later on, they are sold, which go into hinterlands and they go. So do you see this kind of a trajectory also happening till? 
the electric cars come up in the cities and go that way? Or do you see the electric cars and the hybrid cars mushrooming first everywhere? Is there going to be a change in that? Uh, yeah, so the growth will happen gradually. It's not going to happen uh, overnight. Uh, I, there will be a cost to technology. So the, the, therefore, it's also a question of affordability. But as the volumes go up, the prices will start coming down. So I think it will happen over a period. It's not going to happen uh, immediately. Uh, every every technology transformation takes a bit of time, but people yes, will get does. used to it uh, at some point in time. And I'm sure government has also given certain SOPs by way of lower uh, duties on the electric cars and so on. And that also will help a consumer uh, get cars at a slightly cheaper prices. Hmm. So I think that's uh, definitely going to be there uh, in terms of his, uh, uh, you know, his, his need, etc. What was the other thing you asked him? Uh, the, the other thing that I asked is that will, will will these existing cars, which are being made in the oh. next two or three years, will they go into the second-hand category, and so that so that the yeah. transition is simpler? So, so second-hand car market in India is a pretty large car market. You know, it's, mm -hmm. it's a huge car market, yeah. and uh, uh, and it's divided into two parts. You know, one is a formal market uh, car market, and one, second is the informal car market. Unfortunately, even today, a large portion of this is an informal car market. So mm. what, as a company, we have done is that we have created a, a concept called a true value outlet, where we call a customer, he goes yeah. to a dealer and he can sell his car. You know, he can be assured that his car is going in the right hands. Right. And we, we then refurbish and sell again. But what it also does is that we are able to ask a customer, will he like to exchange his old car with a new car? And uh, believe me that about 25% of the customers who come in, they actually exchange cars. And we believe that this can really go up significantly as the uh, the informal car market moves to the formal car market. Got it. So, uh, so actually, um, a produced vehicle is going to is going to be lasting longer. You know, is going to be used longer. So pro probably at some point, and something which you know I, I do believe in that you know the use and throw in terms of actually reusing it, you know, repurposing that vehicle, and as you said, that refurbishing it so that the the life of it continues even though the new generation vehicles are there how how important do you think this is in terms of uh, people getting that even as we move towards more fuel efficient ones the ones of the earlier generation will continue to be used for a while before they are completely phased out uh, there are see there are uh, the, the trend today really is that a uh, a consumer who can afford will buy a new car. You know, this is very clearly evident. But mm. but there are there are families who are, want an additional car and they say, okay, we already have a new car, so why don't we look at a, a second-hand car? So, you know, it's a combination of the two. But uh, the shelf life of a car, which earlier used to be, for example, a, a consumer will, a customer will exchange car after seven years or 10 years, is now now moved back to about four to five years. So roughly about... Years. Four years is a yeah, cutoff period when he wants to upgrade his car or change mm -hmm. his car. So, so now just coming back to, I had the privilege of visiting your plant as I was, you know, preparing for a, a program which I was leading for you people. One thing that struck me, Ajay, which you also mentioned, is the the beautiful. You know, I, I saw the Japanese and Indian culture really going together in the thing in terms of uh in terms of the captioning you know as you as uh, i i remember your team explaining to me that how everything is very clearly illustrated oh. so there is there is no confusion how important do you think this this play of these two cultures and how maruti has been using it how important do you think has it 
has it been in your journey up till now and how do you see it moving ahead no i think it's a, it's a, it's a culture that uh, is amazing and that's something that we are very proud of so so one is that when you move when you come to our uh, uh, place you will find that it's all an open of office open office culture everybody is sitting in open office there is no uh, cabin or rooms given to allotted to anybody and uh, you know everybody is accessible there are meeting rooms if you have to go and do a meeting go to the meeting room do your meeting come back uh, you are accessible to all your employees they can come and talk to you you can see them day in and day out in terms of their uh, conduct and work profile what content of work they are doing so and 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 i think the good part of it is that there is a discipline that we maintain throughout you know there's a there's a commitment that is always honored so if i have told that this is the end time of the job that's to be done it's always delivered before that not after that uh, and everybody works on that kind of a disciplined mode the training that we get in the in japan uh, is something amazing you know where where if you go to japan and I'm, a lot of you would have uh, everything works so perfectly well yes. that if you were to catch a train you don't have you you can you can set your watch with the the time the train enters so you know exactly what time it is uh you and you, if you have to get down at a station you only have to look at a watch and you know that your station has arrived so it is so accurate i have i have been there maybe about a, about 20 times and i have never seen even once that anything has uh, misbehaved in any manner you know everything functions absolutely normally uh so so we it's a it's a, it's a great learning for us in terms of how do you plan yourself how do you execute how do you ensure that uh, you know timelines are met how do you ensure discipline is uh, kept at all times so all these qualities that you find and if you visit a plant you will see a lot of them actually in yes. people in terms of uh, you know uh, especially i noticed that the timing it was is still the precise timing is maintained if if that time is meant it you're late yeah. very clearly it is there and and i think one thing that they teach us which is very unlike uh, many of us in in india is uh, micro management so mm. what we normally do is we believe in macro management but japanese believe in micro management and and therefore they're able to diagnose the problem much faster than Quicker. many of us yeah got it so so here comes the interesting thing now we are we are we are in the midst of an interesting uh, crisis and it's been for a while it's is going to be here for a while you've been a you you've been an organization which has seen crises even before this all right and and that's something which you know i i've i've noticed in my life that i have had crises like this coming up in the past also now at, as far as maruti is concerned with its legacy existence in india how do you see how do you see this crisis vis-a-vis -vis the crisis that you may have even seen earlier you know there 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 will be every every decade you will have something or the other happening in the industry and but it's it's something that you have to live with and you have to make sure that you don't get uh, you don't you don't you don't derail yourself uh, during the crisis uh, so 2008 2008 was really a period where you had these subprime crises and you know suddenly things were things started looking extremely bad and one thought that oh what's going to be the future but i think as an organization we were very sure that these are things that that will happen that will occur but they are short lived they will be there for a year two years but they will go away and mm. don't lose your big uh, don't lose, big lose your big picture don't no no don't think about uh, uh, the longer period 
and and that's very important and that's what we did actually in that times also we did not we continue to make investments that we are required to make in, uh, for research and development and capacity and so on and uh, we we uh, continued the work that we are required to do similarly when this crisis happened today uh, the pandemic we had a bad year 1920 for industries it was a year after many many years which was extremely slow and bad and industry actually had a degrowth of about 17% uh, which is exceptional in a auto industry because auto industry is used to growth every year yep. so so on the back of it we had this pandemic and then it was really very painful for everybody because you were regrowing and then you had this pandemic but now the question really is how do you deal with it do you see as a curse and then you say oh i am going to die or do you see that this is a temporary phenomena it will go away and now start uh, you know setting your shop in order and start doing things that are required to do orderly and prepare for the future so we chose the later we said okay this is something that happens once in a while there have been various pandemics that we have seen in the past also but let's see what best we can do during this pandemic so we looked <coughs> internally we looked externally so we saw what we can do internally in terms of you know our cost controls you know other things that we can do setting our house in order and so on externally how do we have a customer interface how do we increase digital intervention how do we do, do things differently and we prepared the first three months for, and and the standard operating procedures for the employees themselves in terms of when they enter the factory how are they taken care of in terms of the safety and health so i think when 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 we combined all this and we did all these by creating various task forces and making people responsible the end result was that when the government opened economy and we kick started we were able to start pretty quickly and uh, today in the month of june july and august we are now back to the levels of last year in fact in august we have done better than last year so wow. so, so things improve if you have a open mind a positive mind and op, uh, you are an optimist uh, but you have to be a cautious optimist uh, you have to maintain cautious optimism but you should not be a pessimist and you should not get worried and you should not get derailed in during these times so that's our learning uh, in every uh, you know uh, every pandemic or every bad time that's happened in the past yeah and ajay i think what you brought forth was a very interesting thing and i you know uh, it kind of really resonates with me that during any crisis whatever be the name that we give to it during any crisis it does look the end of the road all right and, and i have always likened it to that if you look at anything very very closely it looks very big and it kind of says that this is the end of it but when we kind of pull back and look at the larger picture we get that this may last this may last a period it could be this or this but in terms of the larger picture it is nothing and, and and i really think that even as you know individuals who are listening in on organizations listening in if we can really look so so optimism for me is not even a forced thing you know where where people think that okay optimism is forced Op optimisticness for me is the logic of it the logic of it is that this will pass you know i mean just like good times also won't last forever bad times also don't last forever the idea for me what i really and what you brought forth very is that what are you doing in this period so even in the fa most fantastic period the next period is going to be determined by what you did in this fantastic period okay and as you just said that as the lockdown you know ceased and you know you start now you started delivering results so how important like really how important is it for people to remain in action when otherwise crisis paralyzes 
how important do you think that is absolutely i think i, I think if you if you try uh, to uh, shut yourself you are uh, you are in doomsday uh, you have to all the time be in action i think it's a question of also survival strategy you know you you go through a crisis you should know how to survive a crisis uh, growth will automatically automatically come back many yeah. i've been i've been i've been uh, uh, in many sessions where i've been telling people that this is the time this is the year where you should not look for abnormal profits or profits or uh, significant growth you should don't make, don't make unreasonable demands on your head yeah so yeah. look at survival look at survival and then look at growth thereafter then and, mm. and see how do you survive what what are the actions that are, that you are required to do to survive so so i think a twin strategy of survival and then grow thereafter really will work very well with all organizations and and there should not be any panic you know we know there are problems but government is also helping us you know we got six months moratorium from the government so you don't had you had no cash outflows for six months so you were kind of uh, not in a position where you were to roll out big big amount of money back to your banks and so on now that you are generating cash flows you are in a much better position you can live with it so be optimistic therefore i'm saying be optimistic be cautiously optimistic uh, sur- uh, learn to survive and then thereafter learn to grow because i, I just love this potential i just love this because because the point here is that you know uh, you know we create doomsday by making this the doomsday and if we can really kind of even and this is where i want to segue into the next one uh, ajay and that's that's something which a lot of us deal with so when we are in the midst of a crisis when we are in the midst of something we say that our resources are limited all right now a typical question is that actually i need more resources to get out of this crisis would you like to share your thoughts in yeah, sure. when, when there is a dearth so to say dearth of resources how does one source it to uh, to step out so optimize and productivity are two mantras that you should live with but i would like to share something very interesting here with you mm-hmm. you know uh, i i i'm very fond of uh, dr uh, i'm very fond of narendra murthy the chairman of uh, infosys yes he made a statement long time back that you know a good organization is one which has uh, cash flows uh, or cash available with it so that it can run its uh, company for one year if there were no operations Mm. yeah so he he gave gyan to everybody many many years ago i think a couple of decades back and this was something that i really picked up so so uh, what i'm saying is that there are there are so many gurus who teach you so many good things which you actually uh, learn but you don't actually implement in your businesses but if you do it makes a lot of difference but you know having said that what is really important today is that you have to look at what are your what what are your uh, priorities and how do you deal with it now uh, in terms of uh, your business there will be lots of idle assets that you will be sitting on for example get rid of them it's not required you know some people sit on unnecessary land banks unnecessary properties uh, which are, have no relation to the business so if you need to get rid of them please get rid of them and focus on your business put the money back on your business uh, conserve cash because this is the most important uh, raw material that you have today and see how judiciously you utilize cash one thing that i've been saying to everybody is make sure that you do not fire people in this crisis if you want to reduce salaries of people 
if you want to not give them increments for a year it's fine but please do not fire people because you know this is something as a society we owe to them they have worked hard they have been loyal to us and and if one year has been bad we should not do that as an organization we have kind of shown this as an example to everybody not that not only that we have not fired the and, and fired anybody we also ensure that even the indirects that we have who are at the moment most of them sitting at home we have made sure that they are also on rolls and they are also paid salaries because we know it's a it's a hard time so there is some element of uh, humility that an organization should show during these times for people and other than that i think they they have to focus really on their uh, on their productivity and on on the on the optimization of resources that they have so these are three very very uh, what should i say very diverse but i can i can see how they even come together at one end is optimization the other end is uh, you know right in the uh, between that i can see saving and the third part which i really believe in is that staying invested in the people uh, whom you have grown with okay now if i i would just get back to that first part and i'll again come back to the people part um reallocation of resources so there are those many resources uh, will it require a rethink reimagining that how else we can be working in this scenario would that be required would you how important do you think that is yeah so uh, so it's you know it's very important i think when you sit down and uh, look at your business you have to see what is going to work uh, now and what's going to work in future and what needs to change and therefore uh, there there could be you know some uh, some some aspects of business where you will have to look at different uh, niche areas where you can do much better than what you are doing today and therefore maneuver your business accordingly uh, you have to maneuver your business accordingly you may need some element of diversification of your business maybe you know something which may take a little longer there are there are sectors you know like hospitality restaurants malls uh, theaters etc now they will have to they will have to really reshape their business to see because it's going to take a long time before they can get back to the new normal right and therefore they will have to rethink about their business strategy they will have to think what will work for example uh, you know takeaways or home deliveries or something else you know which is out of the box thinking uh, that that kind of uh reshaping will be required for their businesses if you sit down and think this pandemic will get over tomorrow one month two months is just wishful thinking you know any 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 virus remains there for a longer period of time even if the vaccine comes the virus is still there no Absolutely. so you have to re recalibrate your business rethink how to redesign it and if required and you think that it's not going to work for a longer period uh, uh think of an alternate solution for your business uh you know uh, you know even at the pace with how you shared ajay very clear that the agility has has you know at this point more than ever is needed for us to actually give up on things which we thought are the only ways to work and right. for me in this entire thing when teams can come together and ideate you know rather than looking at people as uh, uh, you know like that th- this is not your responsibility if people can be encouraged to give ideas you know to kind of create a pool of ideas who knows which idea can 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 angle towards as you said something which may even bear fruit a little time from now but but how important would tangential thinking be even for regular 
formalized uh, products? So, uh, you know, it is important for any kind of products, whether it is formal, regularized or uh, even informal, because, uh, you know, unless you do that, you would not be able to get to a size and business idea that would take you forward in terms of your business and growth. Mm -hmm. uh, now, for example, uh, look at uh, a component industry, you know, uh, uh, which, which produces components for cars. So they they uh, produce components for cars, they produce components for commercial vehicles or two-wheelers and so on and so forth. And, uh, you know, they, they would have a variety of challenges in terms of labor, in terms of uh, government policies, their own cash flows because they work, you know, very very tight regime and cash flows uh, and they work on, uh, you know, time timelines, etc. Sure. Yeah. Now, 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 unless they start thinking forward in terms of what their strategy is, for business six months, one year, two years, five years, and what? how should they diversify? What is it that they should do between domestic and export market? And should they also integrate uh, backward, forward, and, and you know, kind of uh, have a business which can prosper and grow? I think I think these are, these are very important things that you should now start uh, uh, looking at uh, in which, whichever part of business you are in. Uh, you will sooner than later find uh, mergers and acquisitions becoming a common thing, you know, a lot of yes. small businesses are going to get merged with big businesses and it makes meaningful sense also, scale will matter. You will also see, uh, you will also see some of the uh, businesses diversifying from where they are existing, the, uh, you know, not making profitable ventures or doing. Ajay, do you see profitable. some collaborations, as they say, some, uh, some collaborations which were other, otherwise not even expected or thought of, could they kind of come into play? And are you seeing yeah. such things happening? I think I think one major, absolutely. I think one major opportunity that we have as a country today is that uh, after after the China episode, where a lot of companies are now thinking of get, going out of China, India has a huge potential of getting a lot of these companies in India uh, who can set up shop here. And you know, this is kind of a kind of kind of very big. You know, this the scale can be really big. And if we can get our eggs together, you know. If government can get its checks together and can you know provide shops, this can be a game-changing uh, exercise for India. It can be, it can be really, really something which can be of a very large scale, and I believe that uh, this is something that's likely to happen in the near future. So here is a pointed question, very interestingly that you also spoke about it, and I'm being the devil's advocate at this point. Do we always, do we always need a government shop to change that? How important do you think it will be for an individual mindset? Because my personal take, again, in this entire thing that I've seen in, in my limited capacity, you know, as a as a as a as an entrepreneur, as a person who kind of is a self-employed person, one thing that this period has made quite evident for me is the need, the ability, the mindset to work hard. You know, that this this period has very clearly shown that. As we have seen that fewer people are taking on more jobs, okay, for whatever reason. Okay, let's 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 get into a real world where people are being let, you know, they are letting go. You know, organizations are letting go of people. Let's get real about this, okay? Now, what is happening, which means that fewer people are doing more people's work. More and more, I am also seeing around me, all right, that people are ready to offer their services in many more ways than they ever thought. 
I really think that this is a period where the individual's ability to perform higher than she ever did before is coming into play. How important do you think this is going to be a mindset shift for us that that there are not going to be any free lunches or even uh, less uh, priced lunches. We really have to alter the way we are working. I agree. I think I think a very very relevant and a very important point that you made. <clears throat> In terms of our culture, we have to make sure that uh, the productivity with which we work is extremely high. And also, I think you made a point on multi-skilling, which I think is uh, something that's also extremely important. Because you cannot have any person idling. Because if you have to have, uh, as a country and as a nation and as, as a company, you need to have uh, pro higher productivity and output, then you need to have people who are actually engaged in productive jobs or whatever time they work. Uh, besides whatever infrastructure uh, tweaking that India needs, because that also creates a loss of productivity, you know, all your commuting time and stuff like that. So I think that also needs to be addressed. So at a, at a, at a, at a a larger level when i look at country you need to look at the infrastructure improvement and make sure productivity goes up there at a company and a nation level you need to look at multi-skilling productivity increase in people in their mindsets uh, and you know you know shaping up in the manner that uh, you actually can benchmark yourself with what you see in uh, the developed markets now exactly now for example for example we uh, benchmark ourselves with japan and see what what is the level of productivity there versus us? We still are much lower than them. So yeah. how do you reach there? And I think that's the important point you made. Yeah. And, and I think another thing, see, apart from works, at one end is work. The other end, I think that the entire context of excellence, if it can be drummed in rather from, and I don't want to disparage it, but you know, the, the entire thing of jugaad, chalta hai. You know, if we can really make excellence, our commitment to excellence as our middle name, you know, at, at one end is I'm going to work hard, but manage if we can take that off, I mean, because see, it is a big deal when you say that, okay, a, a particular country is, is kind of losing business. China is losing business. India has got, but it is not just working hard, not just government shops. It's also imagine our mentality that not only are we going to work hard, but we are really going to set up benchmarks for ourselves. That, you know, our the product that will go out of our organization, the product that will go out of my hand is going to be so amazing that it does not need to be, you know, double checked and it is not coming back and forth. How important do you think it is for I as an individual, you as an individual, each person who's listening as an individual? What how important do you think our role is that the world will say, hey, yeah, this is an Indian made product. I know it is very good. Yeah, so absolutely. I mean, uh, it goes without saying. So I, I would just uh, narrate a small incident that uh, uh, our uh, group chairman, uh, Oswamu Suzuki, he was in India and he was addressing uh, uh, the ACMA conference. And, you know, uh, there was this talk about Make in India that time, very, very uh, focused, uh, Make in India, Make in India, and everybody's talking about it. So he just made a small uh, reference to that and he said, Make in India is fine. You should, you should also focus on quality in India. It's not make in India; it's quality in India. And I, I think, I think that's something which is very relevant. You yeah. know, uh, you know what, uh, the Ashish, I feel is that in India, while we have been 
growing and there is so much of focus on localization make in india digital india you know and all all many other uh, initiatives that the government is taking which are really good but what is not really happening is that we have never invested money in research and development you know the organizations and look at countries like japan who progressed so fast from nowhere it's all because of the r&d investments that they made which took them from where from uh, where they were to where they are now so so i think in india we still try to copy paste we still shy away from actually having our own r&d and creating our own brands and uh, you know intellectual properties we do a collaboration we use that collaboration for technology but we are not kind of creating that technology within the country so it's very important for us to promote a good a good developed market has 5 to 6% of their uh, uh, gdp being spent on research and development got it we so, we have nothing we have nothing being spent on research and development so i mean th- this is a very interesting point and i'm saying that even d- indirectly now if we are talking indirect also consider would you think that the number of patents that we get inside of india you know even through our universities and our research centers could that be something also which could play a very important role going forward other than just the knee jerk profits of this present moment it will definitely it will i think the whole concept of startups that have now been that there is now being encouraged both by the government and by the corporates i think that's going to play a very significant role because all these startups are doing innovation they are creating a lot of uh, new technology new intellectual property in the country but unfortunately uh, ashish even today a lot of bright, brilliant minds a lot of intellectual minds they migrate they go away from india and that is where we lose and see how many indians are actually running the us in terms mm. of technology or in terms of all senior level positions in various large organizations so that's where the loss is so how do we make sure that we have adequate intellectual property if sitting in india and addressing the long term needs of india so that's important yeah and ajay i think what you have again pointed towards the startups see uh, as I, uh, my child is also in the us studying computer science and one of the things that you know when when, when i listen to him all of them are looking so it's it's like what comes first the chicken or the egg all right and for me with this uh, and, and therefore i am a huge uh, you know i i really support the startup culture because what it is doing is it's giving it's giving the the restless minds restless possibilities uh, an opportunity to create something and when i meant collaboration you know uh, and and look at large corporations when they buy out uh, small startups for me along with the buyout what they are getting is they are allowing new ideas to be infused into the existing system that's what i meant by the traditional now the 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 point that excites me about this future and, and that's why i you know for me this this covid period which has given a lot of pain to a lot of us and and to a lot of us the pain is much beyond what you and i can imagine but can we consider for a moment that this has shaken a lot of established things all right a lot of established towers have been shaken all right you know what it has also done i've also felt that people who were very small they are no longer inconsequential we also feel that we have a role to play that how do you see you know if we can have a vibrant a vibrant community of people who are saying that hey 
this is my opportunity. It is not that I'm lost here. Everything is gone. I do not have any chance. I really see that this, uh, this disruption, which, which we didn't cause, which was caused onto us, has actually dismantled uh, you know, the, the, the known pathways. People are actually free to find their own pathways. Do you think this kind of a, an atmosphere will pull more people, attract more minds, that maybe this is a place where the ground has been broken and probably something new can be created? I think so. I think so. And, uh, you know, uh, there, there is definitely this urge now, which is seen by by everybody that uh, there is so much of talent that and there's so much of innovation that exists, but we are not able to formally channelize it, you know, and, and, and it is it is because, you know, some of these people don't have the resources and they, they cannot formally approach to uh, uh, convert their ideas into uh, an intellectual property or a patent. So what I think we are now organizations like ours are doing is now we, we are doing a, a competition amongst the startups. So they, they, they have an idea. We say, okay, we will have 200 people coming in and demonstrating to us what they have uh, to show showcase. And it's just an idea stage. You know, they have not started commercially exploiting it yet. And if we like an idea, we choose 5, 10, 15, 20 of them. And we actually uh, arrange for their funding. We arrange for their, uh, uh, help them with their management, etc. And we actually uh, uh, ensure that uh, they start commercially exploiting their potential. Uh, out of the out of the ten, two work, three work, seven will uh, not work. But it is just encouraging. You know, I I attended a training program tra training program in Europe many years ago, and one thing that amazed me in one of the companies there was that uh, they said we reward our people for making mistakes. I said, why for making mistakes? He said, yes, for making mistakes we reward them. I said, but why should you reward them for making mistakes? He says, unless they make mistakes, how will they learn? And how will they be more creative? So, so we 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 encourage people that if you may have made a mistake, don't worry. And there's a program that we run. So, so you know, startup is something similar. Absolutely. There will be people who will experiment, who will do things differently. And unless they are encouraged, unless you know they, you give them a chance, you will not get the technology that you want. You will not get the innovation that you need. And now, at least for the first time, I've seen meaningfully that there are many organizations who have started focusing on uh, uh, many of these startups, started nurturing them, start ensuring that they're funded. Uh, there are a lot of venture capitalists who have now uh, angel uh, uh, investors who have come in. So I think I think it, this is now mushrooming. It will uh, start uh, growing at a much faster pace than what it was before. Uh, uh, government is also very keen on ensuring that, you know, they get the required benefits uh, as a, as a as a startup and they are looked after. Uh, I have been involved with a few startups, for example, you know, myself. Mm -hmm. And uh, I very closely look at them. Uh, I, I, I kind of guide them on some areas of venture raising venture capital or, you know, doing things like that. But it's amazing the kind of potential these young people have, the kind of mind uh, that they possess and the kind of, kind of uh, uh, thinking that, you know, goes into their mind by disrupting the existing system and creating something which is absolutely new. So, so uh, I think it's changing slowly in India. But uh, my worry still is that how do we stop the brain drain from India? Got it. 
and I and, and I get that. And and I think probably just as we spoke about a little bit back, that the resources to get out of crisis will be in the crisis itself. I think as a solutioning of this entire thing that you kind of brought forth, Ajay, uh, uh, probably I, I see it in 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 this crisis as as new blood, new ideas will come up. And as you as you said that, at, uh, you know, even at Maruti Suzuki, you people are engaging with startups, you know, because, because this is such a, f- a phenomenal idea <coughs> that I was hearing, uh, reading it on, on the comments. Imagine large established industries allow these new startups to also infuse something into them. Now that, that for me is osmosis happening and reverse osmosis happening, where we are allowing new ideas to come in. For me, another thing that really strikes, you know, in terms of the topic that for us today, motoring ahead, motoring ahead are also was also finding new ways to motor ahead is not just, you know, the vehicle, but also what is the path we are taking and what you have brought forth very beautifully uh, Ajay, in this conversation. What I could get is that the way of thinking of our earlier periods of dealing with crisis as an adversity, it needs to get altered. Really looking at this moment, this moment, not emotionally, but really getting that this moment is nudging us. It probably has fast forwarded a change, which many people say, yeah, in India, it'll take some time. It has happened in India. All right. The thing that we said, yeah, yeah, maybe let's see. I mean, I West may it happens, but here it has been fast forward now. This, I really think, is a fantastic opportunity for large industrial groups, for startups, for the government of India, for organizations across the world to see that we have the, the water has been muddied, my friend. You know, the still water has been muddied. So the resources and everything are around. I think this is a great opportunity for, uh, for, for bright minds to use these resources. All right. So as, as a final passing a uh, comment of yours. I, I I want to pick your brains on just one thing. How important is experience when experience is open to new ideas? Somebody who's as experienced as you, how important are new ideas to infuse so that for this future, the wisdom of the experiences available, who is open open enough to new ideas? I think, uh, you know, experience always uh, has relevance, but uh, you have to be really mentoring people in the areas where you think, uh, you know, things uh, are required to shape up, things are required to work, uh, be worked much better. And, and uh, you uh, should also use your experience in terms of what can go wrong and what can go right and how to do things differently. I think today is the time when it's more about innovation. It's more about uh, thinking very differently. It's uh, unlearning. Very uh, unlearning is very important. You know, some of us with our uh, with our experience keep thinking about our ways of doing things. It doesn't hold. Uh, you know, things keep changing. So we have to also unlearn from time to time. You know, uh, what happened in the past may not be re- uh, uh, may not be true today. You know, things are done so differently. For example, we were used to a certain way of working. Today, you have robotic process automation. Everything is worked by a robot. You put a system. You uh, tune a robot with a particular process, and the robot will do this for to you within minutes, within a, within an hour. So things have changed so much. Uh, I think for us, it's important to unlearn and keep uh, refreshing ourselves. It's also important to uh, 
mentor people with our experience in terms of what we have seen in terms of business in terms of challenges in terms of crises in terms of difficult times and you know the kind of leadership that we have gone through over this period which what works what does not work so i think these are things that needs uh, to be collaborated with the young minds and and uh, to shape them up for the future for tomorrow uh very beautifully summed up ajay um uh, you know my my personal take on on learning is that um it's more always to do with only learning because unlearning is a bit like trying to take out salt from if it is already there in a dish but what is available to each one of us and you whatever experience that each one of us may have is just our ability and want and hunger to stay relevant allow us to allows us to uh, remain abreast with what the world needs what the world needs and then finding ways to fulfill it so uh, thank you ajay because you are uh, you know uh, I, i spoke to a senior of mine from bharatiya vidya bhavan you really illuminated uh, me uh, today in this interaction ajay i'm sure uh, it would have been of value to people who are listening in i also want to share with you another very interesting thing that through this period all that we have been creating uh, at avid minor we are coming out with an open workshop on the 18th of uh, september on uh, book my show it's called the zone workshop in which i've specifically created can we have that uh, logo of that so what we have done is that we are trying to create a workshop in which people can power through this period you know whatever stops us we got a lot of voices telling us not possible cannot do let this period change then only we can do so i've created a prepackaged workshop both in hindi and english which is on on the 18th of september so i've tried to put in a few of the learnings that i have gotten in this period so that we can keep moving and keep delivering our results even in this period so i'm taking this opportunity to even share with people on all this so thank you for the banner so uh thank you each one of you for having attended this uh, session with ajay ajay thank you so much for being here making time on a sunday morning for us uh, in deep appreciation deep appreciation thank you so much thank you ashish and uh, namaste thank you so much bahut bahut shukriya aap sabka you your your words are really very very powerful bahut bahut shukriya aap sabka thank you each one of you you have an extraordinary sunday and a phenomenal week ahead let's stay bright and let's all stay amazing and open to new ideas we have to each one of us has to motor ahead